0: Because the real answer to changing delusional thinking is changing delusional thinking. And you don't change delusional thinking, you don't change the thought process of racism without dealing with it and causing people to think again. And that's what, Jonah, that's what God does. God steps up and says, okay, think again, Jonah. How many times are you gonna get this wrong? Let me ask you the same question again. Are you really right to feel this way? Jonah's hatred for the people of Nineveh revealed an inner attitude of racism. In today's conclusion of the sermon series Jonah, Pastor Joplin preaches on God's response of racism. Listen and discover how the Creator deals with racism among his creation. I'm going to preach to you this morning in this final sermon of the sermon series Jonah part 5, God's response to racism. Jonah's hatred for the people of Nineveh revealed an inner attitude he had about an entire group of people he had never met. He didn't know any of them. He had a preconceived notion and attitude about these people that they were so wicked they deserved to be destroyed. Now follow with me this morning the irony. On one hand, Jonah thinks they deserve to be destroyed. On the other hand, he knows. He knows they have to repent in order for God to relent. He knows that. He knows that God's not just going to show them favor if they persist in their evil deeds. And he didn't want to go and preach to them because he was concerned they might repent it tells us that even in the depth of Jonah's soul and heart and mind, there was an awareness that maybe these people over here aren't quite as bad as what we've put them out to be, but I don't want to find out. They deserve to die, period. They don't get any chances. And we see that Jonah had this inner heart, this heart of racism. Now, racism is not a word you're going to find in the Bible, And my fear this morning in dealing with racism is not that I will be misunderstood, but that the principle which I am dealing with this morning will somehow be misapplied only to race. When in reality, racism at its heart is simply dealing with a people group, and making a decision about an entire people group that you know nothing about. And the reality is we can do that with all sorts of people groups. It doesn't have to be race. This is an ugly topic, but it has to be dealt with. God dealt with it. What we really have in Jonah chapter 4 is this conversation between God and Jonah about this topic of hatred for people groups. We want to discover what God has to say to those who are victims of racism. We want to discover what God has to say to those who are perpetrators of racism. And when it's done, we want to discover what is God's answer to all of it. How does God deal with this? Now, before I get to my points, there are a couple important things I want to say by way of introduction. Number one... There are not races in the Bible. Consequently, I don't believe there are races. I believe we all came from Adam and Eve. Well, if that's the case, then we're all cousins. Now, I don't have the time to get into it this morning. Not only do I believe that, I believe in the science behind it. I don't have the time to get into the science behind it this morning But that is what the Bible teaches. There are not multiple races. There's only the human race. And we were created in the image of God, all of us. Over time, we have this larger section of people groups, but God does not see them as races within the human race. There's only the human race. Mankind. Now, for the purpose of this message, when I speak about races and people groups, I do so acknowledging that man has made those people groups, right? Not acknowledging that God has made those people groups, not acknowledging that God sees it that way, but that's the way man has seen it, and so we want to talk about it in that capacity this morning. Next... This is a tough statement to make, but it's important to understand when we talk about racism. Racism has always been a problem, and it always will be. Those who believe that somehow we can root out racism are facing a pipe dream. Racism is a sin problem. And so we cannot get rid of racism without getting rid of sin. Therefore, there will always be racism. Always. Now, we can do things within our community. We can do things within our home. We can do things within the church to address the problem and make it uh, better or deal with it in a way that we eliminate it from maybe our group, our family. But worldwide, globally, there will always be this instinct within people to judge entire groups of people they don't know anything about. People they've never met, people they've never sat with, people they've never had dinner with, people they've never had interactions with. And it's just going to be that way. There is a response to it, and we're dealing with it this morning. But we ha- to, to think that somehow we can eliminate racism from the entire world, it's just a pipe dream. It's not going to happen. It's a sin problem. It's a selfish problem. We're going to see it's an ignorant problem of thinking that somehow we're better than other people. And the reality is it happens in the church. It happens in the church. The embarrassing part of Jonah chapter 4, we're dealing with a preacher. It's embarrassing. But it's the reality of it. And so it happens at all levels with all people, and it's something we've got to deal with head on. Racism applies to more than just races. As I've already said, I, I can't keep repeating myself, but it deals with people groups. Sometimes it happens with nations. You're going to judge an entire nation of people you don't know anything about. It happens in politics. There are people under the sound of my voice that maybe you're not racist, but you judge entire groups of politics. You hear that somebody's a Democrat, and you automatically assume they are not a Christian. Yep. It's a shame that you would think that you know the spiritual place of a person's heart, that you could somehow judge a person based upon a political affiliation. It's not anything different than what Jonas did with the people of Nineveh. Be cautious, judging entire People groups of people that you know nothing about. Happens with men and women. Often somebody's experience of their father figure or their experience with their mother or the women in their family, the men in their family, it can cause them to see all men in a certain light or all women in a certain light. And the point here is that we are individuals. It is foolishness to think that we can make decisions or know entire groups of people. Before I get to uh, my message, the last thing I'm going to say is one of the things that's been really helpful in my life that God has used to help me even further understand the beautiful tapestry of His church and, and the beautiful tapestry of his creation is all the missions that we've been able to be a part of. And I don't call them races, I call them cultures. I've seen different cultures of white people. You go to Tennessee, it's a different culture of white people than it is here. And there are different cultures depending on where we are born and raised around the globe, and this is true of all colors. And it's been beautiful to see that God's people are beautiful no matter where you go. And and, and it's awesome because the culture sometimes changes the way we worship a little bit. Like the way that people worship in certain cultures is a little different. In fact, it's one of the primary reasons that in the American church we have a difficult time getting multicultural worship. Now, I'm not being critical. I'm just dealing with facts. I've, I've spent an unbelievable amount of hours thinking, praying about these things. One of the reasons that we have a difficult time really appealing to a, a, a larger uh, swath of color is because we worship like white people. <laughs> we do. Our worship is made for white people. I'm not saying it's wrong, I'm not just being honest here this morning, it's, it's culturally, right? A colored people that are here this morning would say, yeah, that's right, pastor, we don't really do gospel here, right? And it's not that we're against gospel, it's just Chris probably would look silly trying it. We need somebody else that's anointed to do it, right, that, that comes from a, a place of real true worship. And so even here, right? that's my point, is that cultures are different, and we've got to learn to respect one another's cultures. And if we're going to be multicultural, we've got to be willing to look outside of what works for me, how does it always fit best for me, and I've just watched it happen. I I remember the first place I ever went into was Haiti. And I remember being in a Haitian worship service where I didn't understand any of the words, but I was so moved I could hardly speak. And they worship different than we do. Trust me, what it looked like is different than what it looked like here, but the Spirit is the same Spirit, and they're worshiping the same God. And, and watching it and participating in that, it helped open my eyes and my heart away from the little world that I had spent my whole life in. So let's move in and let's, let's, this morning I don't have a lot. I've got three biblical facts about racism. We're going to be looking at racism purely from a biblical point of view this morning. Number one, to hate people is to hate God. To hate people is to hate God. Genesis teaches us that God created man in His image. That is all of us. You were created in the image of God. I was created in the image of God. And when we take this and apply it to cultures, you know what I have come to see? That God actually manifests himself. We can learn things about the heart of God by studying cultures. And there are some things that cultures, one culture might do better than another and vice versa, but we can learn And have a bigger view of God, a bigger view of what heaven's going to be like. Perfect heaven where all people, all kindreds, all tongues, all races, if you want to use that word, all nations, every tribe, every tongue, we are worshiping together in perfect harmony. It's going to be beautiful. And when we see the the way that different groups of people worship and and, and, and the things that they tend to focus more on when, they, when you look at kind of how God works himself out in that culture, we learn more about God by studying all of our brothers and sisters and learning how is God working in this group of people? How is God working in this group of people? But at the end of the day, all people were created in the image of God. So to take a look at a whole group of people like the Ninevites and say they are ugly and worthy of death, they don't deserve grace, they don't don't deserve the same grace, let me reword that, they don't deserve the same favor and grace that we get as a people, they just deserve God's destruction, is really an attack on God himself. And it doesn't stop and recognize, no, wait a second, God created those people in his image. Even if they are the Ninevites and they are a wicked people, the Ninevites were. So were you and I. That's what the New Testament teaches. Like, some of you were this and some of you were that and some of you were that. And so the fact is, God loves His creation. So we need to be extra cautious in how we handle all of His creation. Jonah's anger, it turns to hatred for these people. His anger boils over. You know, he's happy to be the prophet of doom as long as the doom came. But Jonah's not just irritated... He is full of fury. One way that can be translated what Jonah's thoughts or comments were to God is that it was evil, that God, a great evil that God relented. Jonah literally looks at the mercy and grace of God on Nineveh and says, that is evil. We see that hatred... For people, hatred for people groups, I would argue hatred for one person, that it starts to poison the heart, poison the mind, and we think stupid stuff. All of a sudden now, according to Jonah, God's got it wrong. God doesn't know what he's doing. God should be a God of destruction. God has got everything mixed up, and in fact, God, what you're doing here is evil. Because at the heart of racism is the idea that I am God. God. Somehow I've got the, I know. Oh, I know you. Now, we never met. Granted, we never met. We never sat down. We've never ate. I, I don't know your story. I don't know your background. I don't know how you were brought up. I don't know your struggles, but I know you. Sure, you do, God. A hatred for people is ultimately a hatred for God, it's a hatred for God's creation. And it'll make you go crazy. Jonah says some shocking words. Now, one of the things I want to like weave in through this, it's, it's mind-blowing to me. I love it. It's a great positive part of this story, is that God's tender response with Jonah. Jonah says some crazy stuff. He's genuine, though. It's what he really believes. And notice God is patient, not just with Nineveh, but he's patient with Jonah. Man, how long has he been patient with Jonah? And he just has this quick question back to Jonah, but it's a soft question like, Jonah, are you, are you right to be angry? You know, here at least Jonah pours his heart out to the Lord. There's a lesson here in this. Previously, he ran. So he decides he's not going to run this time. He pours his heart out to God and notice God talks back. There are times in Scripture where we see people come to God for the wrong reasons and what does God ultimately say? I will not hear you, right? He's living in your sin. you got no real concern to, 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 to repent and turn. and You know what you're doing is wrong and you don't care. No, you don't get a, some great line to God when you need his hand. But we see that God never turns away people that are serious, Jonah's sincere here, and God's dealing with Jonah. I think about Mary and Martha. You remember when Lazarus died? Well, they come to Jesus. They fall before Him and say, hey, if you were here, this wouldn't happen. This is your fault. Jesus is tender with them. He's careful with them. He's cautious with them. And there's a lesson here to be learned about just pouring our hearts out to God, and you need to know that when you're willing to have a conversation with God, God's not afraid to hear the hard questions But when it comes from this sincere place of calling out to God, God will have the conversation with you. Number two, second biblical fact this morning about racism. The mindset of racism, it's delusional. It doesn't make sense. Let's unpack it a little bit, this delusional mindset. First of all, notice that Jonah isolates himself. He's kind of this guy of isolation, anyways, and isolation is a dangerous place to go. Dangerous. One of the worst things you can do when your faith is wavering, when you're not real certain where you stand with the Lord, and things aren't real good, and you're angry, or the worst thing you can do is isolate yourself. Now we all do it; it's what we do. I'm just telling you, it's the worst thing you can do. The Bible teaches us that our enemy—he's like a roaring lion out to devour whoever he can. You know lions don't go after the strongest. You watch the way the lions attack. They'll come up to the herd, and they'll either get the old, the sick, or the young. They'll try to get the pack moving, and they'll get one of the weak ones off to the side, isolated away from the pack, and they'll attack. Well, Jonah's theory here is isolation. And I just want you to think about it for a moment. He should have been in Nineveh with his new brothers and sisters. I mean, they had just responded to his message. Talk about a group of hungry people who didn't know any of the Scriptures. Here's Jonah, the great studied prophet. You talk about a captive audience that was hungry to know more, and Jonah's like, no, I'm leaving you, goes and finds his own little place out away from the city to the east where he can sit there and hope, just hope against hope, that maybe God is still going to bring judgment on the city. That's delusional. That's insane. Notice his self-justification. In verses 2 and 3, in the Hebrew, it doesn't translate this way in English, but in the Hebrew, in just verses 2 and 3, nine times is the word I. I, 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 I me, 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 me. You'll find at the heart of racism is this belief that life's about me, it's about my group of people, it's about my family, it's about us. And anything that threatens us, anything we don't like, anything we don't understand, we want to get rid of it. Jonah is justifying himself. Even confesses, Lord, this is why I said I didn't want to go. I knew that you were gracious. I knew that you were slow to anger. No secret here. I kept my mouth shut on the boat. Never really said the the real reason. But it's just out in the open here. I knew you might do this. And what is justification in all this is like, God, I know better than you. I am more righteous than you are, God. Years ago, I saw this principle and, don't misunderstand me when I say what I'm about to say, but I saw this principle that often we jump to discipline long before God does. And I believe in discipline. I believe the Bible teaches church discipline. I believe that when things go wrong enough, you've got to address them. I really do. But often we're really just trying to keep our world perfectly like we want it. And years ago I saw this principle and... and I've been asked a handful of times throughout the years, why don't you deal with this? Why did you let this maybe go on so long? And my thought is this, hey, if God wants to swallow him up with a whale, he can. God had not told me to do anything just yet. But if he wanted to strike him down with lightning and kill him on the street, he could. Guess what? He hasn't. And so I don't need to come up with lightning myself to do it for him, right? That was Jonah's thought. See, that's the way that Jonah saw it was, God, you're not going to do what you should do, and so I didn't want to go, and I didn't want to participate in it. If I had my way, my self-righteous way, they would die. Jonah has actually repented of what he repented of. right? So originally he repents, and he goes and he preaches his, his, to the people and does what he's supposed to do, and now he's coming around thinking, man, I never should have done that. That was stupid. I knew I shouldn't have done that. I was right all along. I always knew from the very beginning. And now the heart of Jonah starts to get revealed. He, he never really wanted any type of revival. He never wanted change. Now he gets irrational. He wants to die. I'm telling you that the heart of racism is delusional. The mindset of it. It's just delusional. He wants to die. Now, a short while ago, he's offering a sacrifice of praise from being delivered from drowning, but now he wants to die. And you know what's intervened to really make him change his mind? He's ready to die. What's intervened? The greatest revival's ever happened, and more people responded to this message than any time before. A citywide revival, due to the grace of God, has happened, and he's ready to die. It makes no sense. Now, I know I'm hammering home this point because when I get done, right, we're going to talk with what is the answer to racism. You have to understand what I'm telling you right now, that at the heart of racism is delusional thinking. It's a mindset that's wrong. It is a thinking. It is a way of thinking. It just doesn't make sense. And when we dig into it, it's just downright delusional. So as we're going to see, the only response is to correct the delusion, to change our way of thinking. Jonah is irrational. He has no lack of perspective. So what is the answer? Number three, third biblical fact this morning about racism, the answer to racism God's answer to racism is revelation. God's answer to racism is revelation. Let's look at how God deals with Jonah. Notice God's immediate response is to ask Jonah a question. You know what happens when you get asked a question? You start thinking. That's what God is working on. Notice God's answer. This is so important. Notice that God's answer to Jonah's racism isn't to pound Jonah and try to make him feel small and run him back to his cave. Because while that might have worked for a little while, it won't change the heart problem. The problem's a heart problem. And to really deal with this hatred for people or people groups you can't just shame somebody, you're wrong, you're a racist, you're a terrible person, you should be ashamed of yourself. Because what will happen is that person will shut their mouth a little while and they'll come back into their cave, but they'll still feel the same way about people. doesn't actually help. And then you end up with whoever yells the loudest, whoever has the most power, whoever's most influential in that particular culture, they end up ruling you know what's going on and they end up having the louder voice, but it doesn't actually get rid of racism at all. God is wanting to deal with it here in his prophet's heart. And notice he deals with it through quiet questioning. Through bringing progressive revelation to Jonah about Jonah's faulty thinking. So he starts out with this question of, are you right to feel this way? Now when we all study Jonah and we read the question, what do we say? No. Everybody knows he's not right to feel that way. But when you get angry and you get hateful, isn't it amazing how we can make self justifying feelings and all of a sudden, you know, we're, 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 it's righteous anger. We're always quick to, you know, turn to Jesus throwing tables over. That's all I'm doing. I'm just being Jesus. Be careful. Be very, 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 very careful to justify your hatred for people as somehow doing the same thing Jesus did. Be very careful with that. He asks the question, are you right to feel this way? It's an important question because it shows us that the Lord expects an answer. God expects an answer. Now, something else I just want to drop in here before we keep plowing up this field. Are you right to feel? That's what God said. See, we're getting to the heart of what you think makes you feel. And he said, are you right to feel? feel the way you feel. You know, we typically think, well, feelings just come and go. It's just a mood. One day Jonah's happy, one day he's sad, one day he's on top of the world and praising God, next day he's questioning God. It's just a mood. We tend to think that we're the, the whim of our moods, and that we can treat people, act certain ways based upon how we feel, but the fact that God asks Jonah, are you right to feel? feel this way, it tells us this, God expects us to rule our emotions, not to be ruled by them. It is your responsibility to check your mood and not make excuses for your mood. And God asks you the same question, are you right to feel this way? Angry, hurt, dejected, untrusting, unwilling to forgive, unwilling to be forgiving, unwilling to be gracious, unwilling to show mercy, unwilling to believe the best, unwilling to to have hope that people can change. Are, Are you right to feel the way you feel? We see the Lord expects us to be responsible and answer for our moods. Well, Jonah gets the wrong answer, and so God just asks him again. Jonah and the Lord are locked in a battle here. And this time, God is speaking to Jonah. You know, last time, what did God do? He sent the storm and he sent the whale. Now he sends the sun and the worm. It's interesting he used nature and an animal, just different combo this time around, but this time he has intentions of having a conversation with Jonah about it, and he asks the question again, and the whole purpose is to reveal to Jonah who Jonah is. I told you that God's answer is revelation. I, want, I want to, Let's just look quickly at, at the revelation that he gave Jonah. First of all, Jonah's heart is revealed. You know, in verse 6, it talks about Jonah being happy for the, uh, let me just read it, in fact. The tail end of verse 6, Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. In the entire book of Jonah, that phrase expresses the most delight. It's It's a phrase of delight that even surpasses the phrases used in his prayer of thankfulness to God. It means to be deliriously happy. You ever been so happy you're just delirious? Well, this is the phrase that Jonah has for a stupid plant. That's crazy. I told you it's delusional. The more you start to look at it, you're like, wait a second, this is delusional. This guy's thinking is jacked up. But he's pumped up about a plant because it's going to give him some shade. Now, the Bible doesn't say this, So, um, and I'm always quick to say the Bible doesn't say this is what I think. I think Jonah started to think, hey, maybe the Lord is coming around. <laughs> Rebuked him last night, and all of a sudden, he got his thinking straight, and he's going to take care of me now. Put a little plant over me to give me some shade, and he was pumped. Not only is he getting favor now, surely is going to get destroyed. That's what I think, I, personally, that's just kind of what I think. But we see his heart's revealed. Like, first of all, he's super pumped because he's got a plant that grew up. And then the plant dies. God sends a little worm, tiny worm, and his whole world falls apart. And these are his words. I'm not making this stuff up. I'm ready to die. What? We see a heart that's fully controlled by his own selfish comforts everything's going his way, everything's great. Take it away, I'm ready to die. This is sort of Jonah's, Jonah was a baby, and that's just the truth, right? He's ready to die and be thrown into the ocean rather than repent. He's ready to die again. Twice he wants to die in chapters. This is what he does. He doesn't get his way. I'd just rather die. God says, you right to angry? Oh, yeah, I'm so angry. I, I, I'm angry to death. And we see God starts to reveal his heart to him. He's going to ask a pretty pointed question in a little bit about Jonah being frustrated. But the first thing that God does is reveal his heart. And here's what you're going to see about the heart of racism. The real problem is you. The real problem is you thinking that you're something you're not. Seeing yourself as a human that is here, and other humans as humans that are here. And it's just ignorant, stupid, it's foolish. You put the microscope on your life and you'll find it's a lot like Jonah and the rest of everybody else. It's, it's like glaring. Everybody sees it but you. Jonah's heart's revealed. Next, we see God reveals his foolishness. He wants to die because a plant has died. Matthew Henry said it this way. Foolish man thinks his life is bound up in the life of a weed. That's the way we are as people. You know, the one thing as I study this and I'm like, it's kind of outrageous to me, the one thing that keeps coming up, this is a preacher. This stuff happens in the church. This stuff happens at the highest levels of leadership. I don't care who you are. We've got to guard our heart. His life was bound up in stuff, his own comforts, his own blessings. And then when they were taken from him, he didn't feel like life was worth living. God is revealing to Jonah the truth about Jonah. His emotions which run wild. God reveals to him, Joni, you're just controlled by your emotions. You go from being super happy to super angry. Super happy, super angry. His fury. It's just this big circle. Don't nudge the person next to you, but you ever met anybody like that? Man, I mean, they're just angry. And then to make up for it the next day, they're super happy. Everything's good, and then everything's bad, and then everything's good, and then everything's bad. This is how it was in Jonah's life. God's constantly trying to provide this revelation to Jonah, first of all, about who Jonah is. Jonah, you're not nearly as righteous of a person as you think. I mean, what... Could these people, all the people at Nineveh that you thought should die and burn, what could they possibly do more stupid than what you are? What is it that's so wicked that they're doing that's different from what you're doing? Calling what the, evil, what the Lord does evil? Refusing to do what God's called you to do, and then when you finally get around to doing it, you come out and say you never wanted to do it in the first place? And Jonah's thinking is exposed or revealed. You know something we learn from this? It's an important lesson. Very important lesson. I pray the Lord will help me to explain this in a way that makes sense. Because I want to give you real solutions. If you're like me, I'm the type of person when I see the chaos around me, I ask the question, what can I do? Really, what can I actually do? What can we do? If there is a solution, I want to know the solution. What is it? I'm the type of person that asks those questions. I want you to notice something that's important that when somebody is in a bad mood, calm and quiet reason normally don't have immediate results. They ain't listening. Jonah's not listening. But notice that's still what God went with. Because the real answer to changing delusional thinking is changing delusional thinking. And you don't change delusional thinking. You don't change the thought process of racism without dealing with it and causing people to think again. And that's what, Jonah, that's what God does. God steps up and says, okay, think again, Jonah. How many times are you going to get this wrong? Let me ask you the same question again. Are you really right to feel this way? And then he has a final question where he really, it's like there's no more conversation after that. It's it's amazing that this book ends with a question. It ends with a question. But I want you to note that God's method was reasoning with Jonah. There is a time and place for all sorts of stuff. But I believe this deep-seated hatred for people, for people groups, the primary way that we see God dealing with Jonah is through reason. Let's have a conversation about it. Let's talk about the foolishness of it. Let's talk about the foolishness of looking that way and thinking that way. Let's, let's talk about it and let's deal with the messed up thinking. And I want you to notice that God's pretty gentle with what he says. And you'll find that we don't want to be gentle Right now, our nation is burning. It's burning. Let me tell you what it's actually doing to stop racism. Nothing. And in all honesty, it could be argued that it's making it worse. Because fools, I will call them what they are, fools, will look at a very small pocket of rioters, 370 million people in America, just because you watch the news relentlessly and all that they show you as rioters, don't think that all 370 million people in America are doing the same garbage. But you'll see a small group of people. And you'll think, Phew, we were right. Yeah, some of you are doing it, aren't you? You see how easy it is and how quick we are to judge entire people groups that we don't even know? sometimes based upon the actions of the few. We've got to guard our heart against it. I want to say something kind of bold, at least, coming from a white guy. Racism ain't a white man's problem. It's everybody's problem. Some of the most racist people I've ever met are black people. There's a difference between racism and oppression. And it's a lot easier to find people who have been oppressed and be able to demonstrate what racism did to those people was wrong. And it's a lot harder to look at white, privileged Americans and say, well, they've never dealt, you know, had been on the other side of racism. That's just not true. We might not have been on the other side of oppression. Racism and oppression are two very different things. Sometimes racism works itself out in oppression, and then it's very easy to identify. But you can be a minority if we want to use that term. I've already told you I don't believe in racism. I'm just trying to use terms that make sense of all of this. You can be a minority and have mindset about white people that's racist. Automatically judge, because that person's a white person. They are, you fill in the blank. It's racism. It's wrong. It's equally wrong to judge any group of people based on anything, not just color. Color, culture, where they come from. Back to my final conclusion here. So God is reasoning, calmly asking questions with Jonah to get Jonah to look at his own heart, and then God takes Jonah and has him. Once you've dealt with that, we're going to look away from that Jonah, and we're going to look at Nineveh. And, And God asks him this question in verse 10 and 11. The Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Should not I penny Nineveh? That great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the right hand from their left. God says, Jonah, I've asked you twice if you're right to be angry. Now let me ask it this way. You feel like the life of this plant should have been preserved. Like you're angry because... The plant died. Shouldn't I, as God, care more about the people of Nineveh, human souls, than you do about a plant? And the book of Jonah ends. So the question is, big question, did Jonah get it? I'm going to tell you my opinion on the matter. I think he did. I don't know if he got it right here at that exact moment, but we do know he quit arguing with God right there. There's no more response recorded. You know who wrote the book of Jonah? Jonah. Let that sink in. He got away one day and said, world's got to hear this story. I'm going to write it just like it happened. So I think he did get it, actually. I really do. I think the fact that he recorded it for us and let God get the last word in, that's my opinion. I think he got it. Maybe one more reason that Jonah ends his book this way, and this is also, I just, I opinion of mine, but maybe one reason he left it this way is so that we would have to answer the question. Maybe Jonah had already figured out his answer. He had written a book for us. But what about you? What about me?